0: This morning we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 24. If you want to open that up in your Bibles. And I am aware that it's not one of the scriptures in the Bible we naturally think of when we think of Christmas. But I've had this scripture on my heart for months now, and I realized suddenly that with Christmas time, this actually was the time to discuss this. Can you turn off my microphone for a second, William? You don't wanna do that with an open microphone. what's so important about Christmas anyway? To the uninformed, Christmas is a secondary thing. Some ethnic groups observe Christmas and celebrate it, and some ethnic groups do not. And what we're finding is that that most leaders and officials are considering that Christmas is secondary. I was especially struck by what the first minister of Wales said, defending the October firebreak, as he called it in Wales, the lockdown, he said, we are saving lives, not saving Christmas. The idea is that, you know, there's something more important going on that all other considerations have to, fall away and be secondary. But what we want to consider this morning is that Christmas saves lives, not lockdowns. Jesus Christ coming into the world is the only hope of the world. Because Jesus is the righteous one and in contrast to a world full of treacherous dealers who deal treacherously, Jesus not only makes the laws, but he also keeps them. Treacherous dealing brings death, and only Jesus brings life. So let's look at Isaiah chapter 24. It says here, Behold, the Lord makes the earth empty and makes it waste, distorts its surface and scatters abroad its inhabitants, and it shall be as with the people, so with the priest, as with the servant, so with his master, as with the maid, so with her mistress, as with the buyer, so with the seller. As with the lender, so with the borrower. As with the creditor, so with the debtor. The land shall be entirely emptied and utterly plundered, for the Lord has spoken this word. The earth mourns and fades away. The world languishes and fades away. The haughty people of the earth languish. The earth is also defiled under its inhabitants because they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinance, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, the curse has devoured the earth and those who dwell in it are desolate. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are burned and few men are left. The Lord is going to destroy the earth and scatter the people because they have broken the everlasting covenant. This chapter here in Isaiah is actually a mini apocalypse. And it shows us the end of the world. And it says here that God is going to violently pour out Judgment on the world, physically distorting it. We're going to see more of this in chapter 24. And when God scatters the inhabitants there in verse 1, people are going to lose their unity and their identity. Now, people. Combine into groups. It's natural for us. It's who we are. And people are united in one way or another, and in multiple groupings. That is, there are countries, there are ethnic groups, religious groups, employment groups, businesses, unions families, but what this is indicating is that relationships are going to be broken, unities will be scattered, people will lose their specific identities as a result. For example, in verse 2 it says here, as with the people, so with the priest. There's a difference between a whole group of people, And a priest who has a specialized job, he is to represent God to the people and represent the people to God. So there's a specific purpose within a group. But it says here, as with the people, so with the priest. The people are just a group, the hoi polloi, the herd. You know, no, nothing sticks out. It's just the people. And the priest is going to be just like one of them when the inhabitants of the earth are scattered. He's just going to be another guy among all the inhabitants of the earth. And again, as with the servant, so the master. The master is different from the servant. He owns the servant. The word could be translated slave. And the master is the one who gives the orders. And that slave has to hop to it. But when the people are scattered, the master is just another guy. And he's not giving orders anymore. And it's the same for a maid and her mistress. The mistress isn't going to be giving orders anymore. Those are just two females there and no more significance, no more importance. And all the earth is just reduced to people without ties, without relationships. So it's just going to be a scattered bunch of people, all kind of homogenous and undifferentiated, no titles, no high, no low, just a bunch of people. And that means that the structure of society is gone. It goes on to say that the land is going to be completely emptied, plundered. The word plunder means to take with force as It would happen in a war. You drive out the people of a certain village, you go in there and take whatever you want. That's plundering. So it's stealing by the threat of violence. And it says here that everything that is valuable is going to be forcibly stolen and taken away from people. And then in verse 4, it says the earth is going to mourn, grieve, fade away. Altogether, you could say the earth is losing life. Fading away has the idea of drying up, wearing out, falling off, languish, Means to become weak. At one point you're strong, hup ho, but then you kind of, and you're losing strength. You're losing life. And I'm interested at the end of verse four that the haughty people of the earth are languishing. Haughty, meaning proud, arrogant, stuck up, think they're better than they really are. Are convinced. They're better than they really are. And yet they're having the same hard time everybody else is having. And you think, okay, how come them? These are the well to do. These are the people with nice houses, nicer than yours. You probably don't even own your house. They do. Multiple houses, and cars, and jets, and fame, and money, and money. And money. Did I say money? I meant to say money. And yet, houses, possessions, money, that doesn't help when you're losing strength. In fact, these proud, arrogant people are finding that it's not enough. They have everything but nothing that's going to give them life. And they're finding out that it's true. So the reason for all of this is in verse 5. The reason for the judgment, the reason for the plundering, the reason for losing life and scattering that is going to come is because of sin. And we say, really? Is that all? You mean I stuck my gum under my seat and now the world is going to blow up? Seriously? But look how it's presented here. Yes, there's a, an interesting thing going on in the back of the room, but I'm up here. It says here they've broken the everlasting covenant. That's what I want to land on here. See, a covenant is not a law. It's a relationship guaranteed by oaths or a vow of faithfulness, like marriage. Marriage is a covenant relationship, and you enter into it solemnly and you make vows in the presence of witnesses who are going to hold you to it. You know, I've done a bunch of marriages, and some of them, they like to write their own vows, and they vow the most incredible things. They think, don't do that. You can't follow through. Do you know what you're signing up for there? Why don't you just go with the usual and hope for the best, you know? Because you're promising the moon. But that's what this is a relationship that's guaranteed by vows of faithfulness. And there is an everlasting covenant between God and man, a relationship. God and his people. This is regardless of your idea of theology or which religion is proper. It exists between the God who created everything and he created people. And there is an everlasting covenant. Because that's who God is. Before he made anything, God is the Father, and God is the Son, and the Father loves the Son, and they share the Holy Spirit. Absolute communication, absolute love, relationship is eternal. And so when God creates us, it's with that same idea in mind, relationship. That's what life is about. But then people have broken that. They've transgressed the laws. You know what the law is? The law is about how you deal with somebody else in the right way. It governs every part of relationship. And it comes down to this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's how you deal with people. So if you find that your neighbor's ox fell over, you get it back up again. I don't know how you're going to do that. But you help your neighbor out. That's what you do. Now, people have broken that relationship with God. They no longer have a covenant relationship with him. They no longer have life with God. So it shows itself in disobedience to God's laws. It naturally manifests itself. So we have Psalm 2 that says, Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. So people see God's laws that describe how we're to relate to one another as this chain, prison, ropes and it ties you up and you can't move and it's really a drag. It's a constriction. It messes up my freedom. And we need to get rid of this so we can be free. Because we want to be free to do anything we want, be anything we want, do anything we want. And so they transgressed the laws That is, how you should treat one another. Change the ordinance. We're going to say that if you want to change your gender, it's changed. If you want to change the way you relate sexually, you're changed and you can never go back. You are fluid. You can be anything you want. White is black and good is bad. I still remember. I was at university, and I had drawn a cartoon for the University of Washington daily newspaper. And I showed it to my editor. And my editor said, oh, Dingman, that's bad. And I go, what? What's the matter with it? He goes, oh, no, 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 no. Dingman, bad is good. Good is bad. You know what I mean? Oh, man, that is sick. That is bad. And I go, oh. You mean it's good? (laughs) But that's what we do. That's bad. That's sick. White is black. Black is white. Up is down. That's what we've got here. Now, there is a built in punishment for sin, and that is the curse for disobedience. It says there in verse 6 the curse has devoured the earth. You know that God gives benefits and help. He gives the power to actually generate wealth. He gives so many good things that we're liable to just take everything for granted, but we actually walk around every day in goodness. Did you know that? Think about breathing. Nice air today, God. And light. I can see. I got a body that moves. I can grab things with my hands. See, you notice this stuff when your body stops working in certain areas and you never get them back again. You think, gosh, you know, all that time I could do this and I never took that. I never thanked God for that. I'm losing parts of my body all the time. And I think, gosh, those days when I used to just and I can't do that anymore. Anyway, thanks for the good times. You know, that was that was fabulous. And I thank God for every little bit that's left because it's precious to me. It's amazing. But you know, when you break relationship with God, you forfeit those blessings and they become curses. God takes it away. Takes that. He says, why should you have that? Give it back. Now there's an entire list of curses in Leviticus 27. And if you want to see where the planet is headed... It's a long list. It's probably three times the length of God's blessings in Leviticus 26. And God can think up a lot more. When God takes away his benefits, things go wrong. That's the best way to put it. Everything goes wrong. And The main thing that goes wrong is that relationships go wrong. Families blow up. And you get chaos in all the unities. Chaos in business. Chaos in government. Chaos in labor unions and political parties. And you name it, there's chaos. Because when a person breaks the covenant with God, the relationships can't function right. And everybody says, Well, I'm going to do what I want to God. Then they're also going to say, I'm going to do what I want to everybody else. And so, part of What it says in verse 1, scatters abroad the inhabitants, is basically just the punishment for sin. You can't have relationships with people, everything blows up. That's part of the built in curse for sin. Now it goes on to say in verse 5 that the earth is defiled under its inhabitants. It literally means polluted. And we think, well, there's lots of pollution nowadays. We actually have little tiny micro bits of plastic entering the food chain because of all the aquatic life. So we don't even know what that's going to produce. But this isn't talking about physical pollution. It's talking about moral pollution. And it's a principle from Leviticus 18. And when you read that chapter, God says that you don't do like all the other nations. You've got to obey my laws, because if you don't obey my laws, then you will pollute the land. In other words, the corruption actually makes the land nauseated. And you know how you feel. You've eaten something, you go, wow, that didn't go down good, and I don't feel good about this. And you get nauseated to the point where you just, you get rid of it. You expel the corruption. And then you feel a lot better. And God says, you know what? You will pollute the land. And the land will vomit you out. Just as it vomited out the people who were there before you. And see, history is full of nations that arise and become strong. And then corrupt. And then cease to exist. The land literally vomits them out. Now, when that happens all over the earth, the curse is going to devour the earth. The earth is going to vomit out all of its inhabitants. We're really talking about the end of the world. I want to go on and read in verse 7 here. The new wine fails, the vine languishes, all the merry-hearted sigh. The mirth of the tambourine ceases, the noise of the jubilant ends, the joy of the harp ceases. They shall not drink wine with a song. Strong drink is bitter to those who drink it. The city of confusion is broken down. Every house is shut up. So that none may go in. There's a cry for wine in the streets. All joy is darkened. The mirth of the land is gone. In the city, desolation is left. And the gate is stricken with destruction. When it shall be thus in the midst of the land among the people, it shall be like the shaking of an olive tree, like the gleaning of grapes when the vintage is done. And what it's showing us here is that everything that people are depending upon to give them joy and happiness, fail them in a profound way. Because people get happy at parties. That's what you do. And you have musicians playing because it's fun to have a dull roar in the background and no, nobody paying attention to the fabulous musicians. They're there and they're hired. They're doing this, you know. And nobody's paying attention, but hey, it's fun. And so you drink because that lowers your inhibitions and you think you're more intelligent. And then you just whip it up telling jokes and having fun. But in this time that is coming, none of that works. And it's been amazing to see the effect of this pandemic This is what's been reminding me of this section of Scripture is that we're almost seeing this literally fulfilled. I think it's the beginning of it. And you know, all the parties stopped. All the musicians went out of work. And they're looking at each other, don't know what to do. Theater productions are down. Actors aren't working. Movies aren't showing. It's screeching came to a halt. Netflix shot up like crazy, but then everybody's seen everything now. Big problem is, where do you premiere the blockbusters? There's no place to bust a block, earn a lot of dough. What happened to the dough? They got all these movies that are waiting to go and earn big bucks, but they can't find a place to show them to extract the money from the herd and make it ours. So, there's no relief. There's no distraction from grim reality. And I I like this verse 10 that says, the city of confusion is broken down. Now, you know, the city is is something that's in motion all the time, and it's literally chaos, but that's part of the fun. It's like a big, kind of a Fisher-Price... What do you call those toys? Box. Busy box. You only know, goes, <laughs> ding, ding. <laughs> and you give a kid that, it can go, <laughs> ding, ding. <laughs> All day. That's what the city of confusion is. Let's go to a museum. Don't want to do that? Let's go to Trafalgar Square. Look at the dummies, looking at bronze lions. Har, har, har. Now let's go to Soho. Now let's go here. Let's go there. Let's do something. The city has something to engage you and entertain you, distract you. But the city's not working because it's all shut up. None may go in. Nobody's going anywhere. They can't. There's a cry for wine in the streets. That's a cry of despair. All joy is darkened. What's left in the city? Desolation. And that's ironic because desolation means barrenness. That's all that's left. And so no relief from stark reality. And people are going to be like olives still hanging on a tree that the harvesters missed by accident. Usually you come, you shake the tree. You gather up the olives, oh, there's a couple left, I don't care. Move on to the next one. That's what people are going to be like. A couple of grapes left on a vine somewhere. And then that's it. Scattered. In life, it becomes basically survival and grim. Now, the world is going to end breaking relationship with God. I'm going to skip to verse 16. I'm going to catch those other verses in a minute. But look what it says right in the middle of verse 16. But I said, I am ruined, ruined. Woe to me. The treacherous dealers have dealt treacherously. Indeed, the treacherous dealers have dealt very treacherously. Fear and the pit and the snare are upon you, O inhabitant of the earth. And it shall be that he who flees from the noise of the fear shall fall into the pit. And he who comes up from the midst of the pit shall be caught in the snare. For the windows from on high are open. And the foundations of the earth are shaken. The earth is violently broken. The earth is split open. The earth is shaken exceedingly. The earth shall reel to and fro like a drunkard and shall totter like a hut. Its transgression shall be heavy upon it and it will fall and not rise again. It shall come to pass in that day that the Lord will punish on high the host of exalted ones and on the earth the kings of the earth. They will be gathered together as prisoners are gathered in the pit and will be shut up in the prison. After many days, they will be punished. Then the moon will be disgraced and the sun ashamed. For the Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem and before his elders gloriously. Now there in verse 16 Isaiah cries out, I am ruined, ruined. And literally in Hebrew, he's saying, my leanness, my leanness. And that means, you know, how you grow thin from loss of flesh. You're losing actual body mass. Think of what the people who survived the death camp Auschwitz looked like when the world war was over and they were liberated, emaciated, lean. That whole death camp scene was actually, in reality, a systematic looting of a people, a plundering. Because every single that the Jews had in the death camps were taken from them beginning with possessions you can go to Auschwitz and in one barrack there will be an entire mountain of eyeglasses that were taken away and in the next barracks an entire mountain of shoes and the next a mountain of suitcases with people's names painted on them Possessions were taken away, and then their lives were taken away. The gold fillings were taken away and melted down into bars of gold. Their skin was taken and treated to make furniture with. Their hair was taken away in 100-kilogram sacks and woven into fabric. And so all of that was a systematic looting and plundering of a people. Now the cause of this leanness is that the treacherous dealers are dealing treacherously. This is breaking the covenant with God in the highest degree. Because it means if you betray your obligation to God, you're also going to betray your obligation to people. And this betrayal is going to be an inescapable trap. Fear, the pit, and the snare. So when you figure out what's going on and you run from the fear, you won't escape the fear. You're going to fall into a pit. Maybe you'll get out of the pit, but for sure you're going to get caught in the snare. In other words, there's no escape. All over the planet, there's no place to go. So the people on the earth are going to be betrayed, and then God is going to shake the heavens and the earth. And that expression about the windows from on high, you can also read about that in Genesis 7, verse 11, when God opened the windows of heaven and poured out judgment upon the earth and flooded it. But in this case, the outpouring of judgment will be the shaking that actually breaks up the earth. You can read about that in Revelation chapter 16, where it's so violent that mountains disappear, islands fade away. It says here that the earth is going to fall over like a temporary hut. Just, and that's it. The earth will never be the same. What blew my mind in reading this and thinking about it this year is that I realized who the treacherous dealers are here. Because in verse 21 it says, Who the Lord will especially punish? The host of exalted ones. And that refers to angelic beings but also the kings of the earth whom the angelic beings influence. See, there are spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6. They're called principalities and powers because they rule in the same way as territorial kings, presidents, and others rule here. In Revelation chapter 12, Satan drags a third of the stars of heaven down to the earth with him. He has fallen angels under his rule. And you know, the point to this is that these hosts on high have really betrayed their obligations to the God who made them. They're being treacherous and they're dealing with God. God and they've decided God's laws don't apply to them. They're powerful and godlike, they're going to do what they want. You know they influence the leaders of the world to do the very same thing. Here the leaders of the earth are supposed to defend and serve their people and make it so people can prosper. That's why they're elected but they don't serve other people. They serve themselves. And they act the same way as the fallen angels. One of the interesting things about the lockdowns has been seeing which elected officials defy their own orders. And they get caught having nights out in an expensive restaurant. No masks, no social distancing. And uh, when they get caught, they just say, oh, well, nothing happens to them. They make everybody else stay at home. Businesses are ruined. But they're going to go out and have a great time. Like there's no pandemic on. Now, what they're saying is, is that the law applies to everybody else but not to me. Now, this is all going to result in the most outrageous betrayal in history. Exactly what Isaiah 24 is talking about. I'm not saying that anybody elected right now are these guys, but they're all acting like it. But this whole process is going to culminate in such an oppression, betrayal, and plunder of everybody on earth. I think that the death camps of World War II were a preview to what is going to happen. Now, the kings of the earth are not only political. They're also economic. There are the bankers who nearly brought the world to the edge of meltdown in 2008 because they figured the laws don't apply to them. They're going to do all kind of stuff that's illegal. And oops! So now we're going to get everybody else to pay for it. You know, they're talking about negative interest. Now, do you know what that is? They're going to make you pay to have a bank account. And all the banks are going to do it so that you have to pay. And you'll be paying for this. There are big corporations who do what they want because they don't think the laws apply to them either. And so they do all kinds of stuff. News and social media. They don't present the news. They want to present influencing so that you think the way they want you to think. This is what happens. They emphasize certain things, completely ignore other things. Well, that's not written there. That's what I think. So just take it with a grain of salt, wait a few years and see what you think. But these are the guys that God is going to take these demonic beings and these kings of the earth who think they can do anything they want and put them in the pit, imprison them for many days, and then really judge them later. It's Revelation chapter 20. They're all going to go into the lake of fire that burns forever. And then God's judgment ends with him ruling righteously, visibly. And the sun is going to be ashamed and the moon ashamed because they've been the highest things in the heaven and, you know, all life depends on the sun. If the sun ever stopped doing its thing, we would all die in eight minutes. That's how long it takes for the light to get here and for the light to stop and we would all die. The moon is glorious at night. Well, the Lord is going to be the most glorious, the focal of all the attention on the earth. Not like it is now. But what I want to go back to, and I know this has taken a long time, and I beg your pardon. Take a look at verse 14. They shall lift up their voice, they shall sing. For the majesty of the Lord, they shall cry aloud from the sea. Therefore, glorify the Lord in the dawning light the name of the Lord God of Israel in the coastlands of the sea. From the ends of the earth we have heard songs, glory to the righteous. Now, this is a very different group from everybody else on the planet. Opposite to those who dwell on the earth in almost every way. The others cried out for wine in despair in the streets, but these people are crying out for joy. They cry out for the majesty of the Lord, and that means how excellent he is, how superior he is, how amazing he is. He's better than anything else on the planet. These people know God. They know the Lord, the God of Israel, the way he's revealed in the Bible. And all over the earth, these people are singing songs of praise to the righteous. Some of the translations have the righteous one. They're not singing praises to themselves, folks. Glory that I'm so righteous. But they're praising the righteous one. And see, this is Christmas right here, what I want to point out to you. Because God is faithful even though every single person is faithless. And what he did was send Jesus into the world to establish a new covenant. And in so doing, Jesus fulfilled all of the laws required by God. These are the laws he himself made. What he's saying is, I make the laws and I also keep the laws. But even more than that, he even took upon himself the punishment for not fulfilling those laws. So in every way, God, the lawmaker, has fulfilled his own law. He keeps his own law. And because Jesus took our punishment upon him, he's dealt with sin for all time. That means we don't have to die, we can receive forgiveness we can receive eternal life. So here we have, in the midst of all this grimness, failure, betrayal, treachery, plundering, here's a group of people that are crying out for joy. And what is going on does not seem to faze them because They have a foundation that's going to last as opposed to this hut that's about to just flop over for the last time. They have that unity. They have joy. They have peace that everybody else in the world can't have because the Bible says there's no peace. Peace for the wicked. So the the people who break that everlasting covenant are always going to be wound up and no relief because it's not found here. It's found in Jesus. So what I want to say is the treacherous dealers are already dealing treacherously. And it's going to culminate in a really bad situation. You know, what I, what I noticed is that all of Europe has plunged the nations into huge amounts of debt and all the lead I was watching uh, the German news service, Deutsche Welle. And all the leaders get together and say, yes, we must do this as an expression of unity. And, you know, the money they have borrowed is just like phenomenal, unbelievable, unrepayable. You think, why did they do that? But, you know, the government here has done the very same thing. The government in the United States has done that. And you think, now, who's going to pay this back? And the answer is, the taxpayers. But what are they going to pay it back with? We have a friend who's in Wales. He has a guest house. He hasn't had any guests there because he can't. He just got his rates from the council. And he says, my eyebrows went back over my head because it's so much. He says, I can't pay that. So... Here's all these businesses closing, people running out of jobs. They can't pay it back. Who's going to pay this back? It's a question. Will the economy ever get back, or will they do what is called a great reset? Now, you know, I'm starting to teeter on the edge of conspiracy theory, and some people are going to say, you know, you're making a lot out of nothing. And so here's what I want to say. Just watch this space. Just see if the leaders are telling the truth and they're serving in the public interest or if they are dealing treacherously. Now, what I want to note is that the Bible says that the kings of the earth are treacherous dealers. And leave it at that. In other words, the world is going to end exactly the way God says it will. And so what do you want to be in the midst of all that? Well, you want to be somebody who celebrates Christmas. And that is, we want to rejoice in the fact that Jesus has come into the earth. And we have forgiveness right now. And this holds no matter what our job situation is going to be, no matter what our financial situation is going to be. The God who wrote this is also able to take care of us. And we're not going to go down with the world. That's what Christmas is about. It's about joy, peace, on earth, goodwill toward men, and anybody can still have it. Isn't that phenomenal? And First Minister of Wales notwithstanding, we are saving Christmas. Christmas is about saving lives. So what we want to do is continue to tell people about it, continue to put flyers out, And we want to make sure that we're receiving the peace that Jesus came to give us because he is the Prince of Peace. Jesus is going to deal with the world. And, you know, you can watch all the guys on the Internet you want as they talk about, you know, what's going wrong now. And that can kind of wind you up, you know, because you know everything. And you've seen the videos, and you've heard the guys, and you go, (laughs) now what? Well, just realize God's going to deal with all those guys. Every single one of them is going to get caught. Nobody is going to get away. I just want Him to catch me. I want to be a sheep. You want to be a sheep? He takes really good care of His sheep. So let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you know exactly what's going on in the world. And you know what is fake news. You know what is truth. We don't have to worry about things we can't deal with. But we want to keep our eyes upon you. And remember that you have come that we might have life. So please give us your joy this Christmas. Please give us your peace. We ask you to provide for us. We ask you to provide for our families. We ask you to draw all those people around us to Jesus. We thank you that you will not disappoint anyone because you are the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the father except through you. For anybody that needs to receive Jesus, please open up your heart. Please ask him to save you. And he will do that. We ask you to bless Christmas this year, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.